Oh, hey, you made it. We weren't sure anyone was able to get the broadcast. We found this huge vault full of cool things from before the event. Yeah, do you want to come check it out? Okay, so do, do you want to do, do you want to intro or shall I or what what are we doing here? Um, I can intro. Uh, hello. <laughs> hi. Maybe that maybe that's our intro. Hi, hi, hello, Patch. How are hi. You? Fuck. Jeez. Oh uh, God. Oh hi. Oh God. So awkward. Um. Hi that's everyone. The, Welcome. The... <laughs> World's worst intro. <laughs> World's worst intro. I'm going for it. Uh. Hello everyone. See, that's too loud. That's too much gain. Hi, everyone. No, that's too excitable. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Don't Go Outside podcast. It's your broadcast... No. Fuck. (laughs) Welcome. Have you forgotten how to do this? (laughs) No, I haven't. Come on, I can do it. I can can do it, coach. Just believe it. Give me another shot. Right. Just give me a couple seconds to... Hello, welcome to the Don't Go Outside podcast, your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse. I am your host, Patch. And I'm Robin, and today we're here to talk about everything that's been going on in the wasteland, the ups, the downs, the trials and tribulations, and go over the media we've consumed, and have one fantastic topic of the week. What have you had for breakfast, Patch? What have I had for breakfast? Well... You know, I, I've been very busy recently, um, and I've been very thankful to this week's sponsor, V Fuel, for providing me with quick, energetic uh, vampire uh, food on the go. Uh, if you're a vampire like me, V Fuel is a simple uh, package delivered to your door every day. It is uh, freeze-dried human remains and blood that you can mix in a big. Sh- shaky shaker plastic bottle of water uh it holds about five liters of water enough to keep you going for a whole evening of vampiric antics um and they are sponsoring our show today very kind to the people at v fuel for uh for keeping me sustained you know it's not always easy to find uh fresh fresh young uh blood-filled bodies out there so in a pinch, V Fuel does very well. Keeps you energized, keeps you uh, awake in the late hours of the evening when you're flying around as a bat or turning into a werewolf. Wait, no, not a werewolf. <laughs> Thanks again to our sponsors, V Fuel. Today, uh, you can use the offer code DGO Blood uh, at checkout. Uh, you know when you go to the ancient, ancient ruins of the castle on top of the hill. You know, uh, go up there and quote DGO Blood to the to the thralls at the gates, and they'll give you your first crate uh, for free. Just mention my name at the door, tell them Patch sent you, um, and hopefully they'll know who you're talking about. So yeah, I've been I've been on the V Fuel, buddy. Well, thanks thanks to V Fuel again for uh, sponsoring the podcast. Even though they know half of the podcast is is human, that's still it's very tolerant of them. Which uh, mm-hmm. I think think that we need to remember that in this day and age, the vampire community is very forward thinking. Of course, they still take back young virgins and you know murder them horrifically and drink their blood. But you know they they like to think about it more and you know f- try to you know forgive themselves for it and have i mean some, have some i mean i will time. say 
I will say world domination is still the forefront of our agenda, but you gotta you gotta realize uh, you can't dominate a world without understanding its core citizens. You know, you need to you need to make your make your presence known. You need to you need to know of the presence of other people. It's all about you know inclusivity. We're gonna take over the world, Robin. Make no mistake. You will be uh, part of my massive slave army, but. We want to make sure you're taken care of, you know? Um, and in that stunning and shocking metaphor for today's capitalist society, shall we move on to what we've been doing this week? What have you been watching, listening to, playing, reading this week, Patch? Well, um, I wanted to quickly follow up uh, to say, following on from last week's topic, I completed Cyberpunk 2077. Um, ah, which I really enjoyed. The, the to be honest, it's a shame everything surrounding tw- Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is so awful and horrible. And because the story of the game is genuinely very good, I completed it. It's a, your typical uh, bleak cyberpunk ending. You know, it's not a happy ending. There are three possible ways to finish the game, and the one that I got just made most sense to me. You know. Um, basically you're kind of to Night City yeah I don't, I don't want to spoil the ending completely but um, I think that's just, just one did. of three I just did I might cut this out of the recording <laughs> I think it might well just put a spoiler alert down or maybe yeah. cut it you know it's up to you right, I'll probably cut it I didn't mean to spoil Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, if you're listening but to this, I've just did. I've just spoiled the ending. I've cut it out. Don't worry about it. Uh, but it's good, man. If you're sticking with Cyberpunk 2077, uh, it's worth it, man. Um, or like we said last week, just wait for the game to be finished. Play it in about six months' time, and it's, it'll be worth it, man. Um, it'll be cheaper. It'll be finished. <laughs> it'll be cheaper. <laughs> it'll be win-win. finished. It'll be worth it, you know? Um, yeah. Quick bit of video game news. Hit me. Uh, because I love a bit of video game news. Um, you do. Bethesda announced this week that they're making an Indiana Jones game. Are they now? Yes. It's Bethesda Machine Works. So they're the people who made the Wolfenstein games, the recent Wolfenstein games. The recent Wolfenstein games were very well received, as I understand. Yeah, they're Not- pretty good. Well, actually, not the most recent one, because there was sort of, they tried to reboot it and make it a bit punkier, and it Mm. kind of fell a bit flat, but the original reboot, oh god, there's been about three reboots. Well, Wolfenstein The New Order is the one. There you go. Yeah, so that's the one I've played, it's very, very good, so they, so those guys are making an Indiana Jones game, Uh, so I'm pretty excited to see what comes from that, you know, Bethesda are owned by microsoft now so this could be their first you know real xbox exclusive as bethesda under microsoft Mm. so just wanted to give that a quick shout because so hopefully something i can follow up on in the coming months you know because i love me some indiana jones and you know yeah (laughs) is it is it going to be uh, do you think uh, a sort of linear story um a la new order which i I think that was fairly linear Mm -hmm. um or do you think it's going to be more toward the open world um that 
Bethesda are so famous for. I, I mean, um, I'm, I'm here for both if they yeah. execute it well. I think three predictions up front. It's going to be a linear storyline. It's going to be third person, so that studio are going to have to have a bash at making a game that's not first person. Um, and it will be... Um, and there will be skill trees. You know, it'll be a linear action RPG with, uh, you know, skill building elements. You know, now those are my predictions. Uh, and they're gonna get Harrison Ford in to do the voice, but they're gonna model him to look like young Indiana Jones. It's not gonna be Harrison Ford as he is now. I would kind of like to play Harrison Ford as he is now with like back pain and stuff. I think that would be <laughs> that'd be brilliant. Even older than he was in the fourth one. Yeah. Um, oh my word. My worry, my initial worry is that it it it's going to come across like just cause but not quite as good. Just cause. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just cause. Actually, I mean, th- I'm that's terribly sorry. I'm terribly sorry. Not just cause. Uncharted. Uncharted yeah well I mean these things come full circle don't they because it was like Uncharted was seen as an Indiana Jones slash Tomb Raider rip off and then Tomb Raider changed its tone to be like well this is just an Uncharted rip off and now Indiana Jones you know Lucasfilm are having a crack at it so I think it's just a genre of game now rather than being an Uncharted an Uncharted alike I think it's just going to be like this is a genre of game that we can play now. You know, linear action RPGs. Yeah. It's never there been are some good my ones. particular cup of tea. It's not the kind of thing mm-hmm. that I would be rushing out to play or watch Let's Plays of or read about or talk about. However, mm-hmm. I do recognize that, you know, a lot of people are here for big, bombastic, linear stories. That's fun for mm-hmm. a lot of people, and I get that. Well, it's good because they're generally, they're generally, you know, quite con, uh, contained experiences. You don't have to sink like 5,000 hours into them, you know? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or like, it's not right like, Bioware. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just the kind of thing where, you know, you have a, you have a good story. It's like a movie, just a, li- just, you know, a, a dozen hours longer than a film. You can get through it in a good weekend or a week, you know, and it's an enjoyable experience. You know, it doesn't ask you to keep coming back and, you know, upgrading your base and, you know, going on missions for different, uh, different, uh, uh, what what am I trying to say? Different factions. Yeah, there's not faction missions, you know. Um, I think it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it, man. I love me some Indiana Jones. Always have. This could be, we could throw this on the pile as games Patch and Robin are eventually going to play together when we're not uh, in the grips of a global pandemic. Although, okay. we keep, side note, we keep playing, saying global pandemic. The word pandemic means global. Uh, it's, hmm. it's like saying ATM machine. Anyway, it's a Totemer. Regardless. Hmm. Um, My neighbor I, Totemer. I think... <laughs> 
Oh my word, that's probably the nerdiest joke that's ever been said on this podcast. It's great, I love it. Thanks. Um, no, I think this could be, we should throw that on the pile because I really? think that is the kind of game, you know, we could hang out over a weekend, play through it, have a good time, eat some pizza. I think that's that's that kind of game, you know? Oh, that sounds beautiful. Yeah. There we go. Like, There's future DGO plans. That is also the pile of games that get announced and I talk about on the podcast and then never follow up on. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've done that. Way. I did it. I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, every time we record an episode is that I was really excited for the release of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remake and I spoke about it at length uh, about half a year ago and the game came out and uh, it was just okay (laughs) and it was Uh it came out at a point where it was like too far between podcasts and I totally forgot about it but um, yeah man I was really disappointed in the Tony Hawk's remake actually just to go on a slight tangent um, we both had quite high hopes for it as well and we had that yeah. whole discussion about how it defined a genre and almost defined part of our culture and our upbringing mm-hmm. and that that specific point in time and uh, oh mediocre that's upsetting yeah I know I was really excited for it as well I remember I was playing I was in a phase where I was playing like <laughs> It was like a train management game on my PC. Like, uh, can't remember what it's called, but you have to build like a train network throughout the US. And it's like, okay, partner, you gotta build your steam train from Oklahoma to Ohio. It's gotta get there in 24 hours. And I was like, okay, cool. Just really slow animations of trains going through the states. This sounds like a spiritual successor to Railroad Tycoon, which was. A 1999 game, 1998, um, maybe, which was rather fantastic. And it, it was you had to build, you had to build railway lines. It was awesome. Yeah. Well. So anyway, so I was playing that, and I was like, "This game's okay. I do like a management game. I'll get in, like I like a management game to myself. It's kind of my, it's kind of my heroine is like playing little management games. I could play for like lose an entire weekend just working on economies." And I was like, it's okay. And then I looked at my at the date and I was like, Tony Hawk's is out today. And I just chucked the, the old timey dusty steam trains aside and I hopped on my skateboard, turned my cat backwards, I was like, let's go! You know? And um, <laughs> within like four hours, I was back on the steam train management. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, maybe maybe this is just what getting older's like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your your knees were burnt, like blown out. You couldn't get back on the skateboard. And you're like, okay, I'll go back to fiddling with my uh, railroad tracks in the basement. Yeah, you know what it is. I think it's like uh, for me, I uh, what I was really looking forward to was like I love character creation and stuff, and the character creator in that game is just not up to snuff. You know, you. Mm. You can't really choose like a body type, which like you can you can't make a really skinny or a really fat guy. Like you just you're just given a generic like mannequin body, and it's not even like choosing between a gender either. It's just like here is a body, and here are some faces that look vaguely male or female, and you can change them. You can change the hairstyle and the and the facial hair, and none of it really matches up, and it just looks a little bit janky and weird, and um. You know, the levels are, like, too... There's not enough to do in them. And, like, the music's just not the same as it was because it's all censored. 
which I think it was probably censored in the original games, but I don't remember it being so. So to hear like to hear track to hear Rage Against the Machine and Dead Kennedys tracks like in a badass skateboarding game and with all the swear words cut out, it's just like it just feels ugh, feels too corporate, man. You know what you know what I mean? It's pretty it sounds pretty lame. Yeah, considering that it is was made by Activision, like it is it is a corporate move and but it's just like that's not the same, so I went back to the old west <laughs> to forge my train empire. It's um, it, it's good that you brought up nineties uh, nostalgia, because I I watched uh, uh, a film of that era. I can't remember if it was late nineties or early thousands. Uh, but I watched The Matrix again. Oh man! Yeah. What um, a film. I, well, this is this is the amazing thing. Um, did uh, did we discuss this last podcast? No, I, we we talked about it off air. We talked. We had about our wee, wee production meeting. We, you were like, "I watched the Matrix," and I was like, "Save that, save that gold." <laughs> that's that's what we did. Okay, cool. Um, yes, I watched the Matrix, um, and part of it holds up incredibly well. You know, mm-hmm. it's still a lot of fun. However, so much of it is very of its time, um, and very. It thinks it's way cooler than it actually is. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think if they'd just been a little more prescient of that at the time and sort of leaned into the fact that it's you know quite gimmicky and this sort of like um, super cyber grunge kind of thing they're going for mm-hmm. is a bit silly. But you know it it can be like oh it's a bit silly but in this world it's cool. You can lean into that, but they didn't and played it completely straight. And looking back at it, what, like 20 years on, mm-hmm. it's sort of, ooh, that's not anywhere near as cool as you think it is. Um, and other than the sort of silliness, I just generally thought, yeah, this is a pretty, pretty good action film. Just good action film. Oh, it definitely um, is, yeah. It's not half as deep as it thinks it is. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, that's okay. Uh, again, it if they had just sort of had a little bit of humor but i suppose there is that section where they meet up with the oracle and the oracle's like this she's the legend she uh knows everything mm-hmm. and she kind of takes the piss out of them um and she, she sort of gives this impression of you're you know you're being so serious what's going to happen is going to happen and yeah that's kind of cool maybe if there's more of that um, uh-huh. i would have felt less oh stilted by and Anyway, so I watched that. Deeply enjoyed it. Very good. Um, well, you got to keep on top of the Matrix because there's a fourth one in the works allegedly. So, uh, you know. so I've heard. Um, are we getting everyone's ageless Wonder Man, Keanu Reeves, in it? I hope so. I and hope I hope so. um, I hope Lawrence Fishburne comes back too, because I really like I really like Lawrence Fishburne, and I like the character of Morpheus as well. Everyone likes the character of Morpheus. Yeah, well, he's a good, he's a good character. Well, because he's the one that got all the good dialogue in the Matrix. Yeah, yeah, he does all he all the he has pretty much all the he's dialogue. Got, yeah, he is the dialogue. Yeah, he's the uh, he's Basil exposition to yeah. uh, Keanu Reeves Austin Powers. Um, well, um, yeah. So I watched that, and I watched something completely different. Oh. Um, I watched The Farewell. The um, Farewell. 
The Farewell, which is an incredible film um, about a... It's a sort of uh, smaller indie film, uh, very much sort of Sundance material. I can't for the life of me remember the director right now, and I haven't made a note of it. Shame on me, but you'll be able to look it up, I'm sure, you and Mm -hmm. the listeners. Um, But it's a fantastic film, and it's about um, a Chinese-American family going back to deal with the sickness of a grandmother Mm -hmm. and it talks about this sort of cultural clash where in china it's common practice if someone gets given you know a a terminal cancer um diagnosis that person isn't told the doctors will tell their family instead and then the family will not tell the person and the thinking is it means they get to enjoy their time rather than having to worry about you know accepting death sure and only tell them right at the end um and it it's sort of this cultural clash and it illustrates um the family that moved to the part of the family that moved to america and became americanized and american citizens and the part of the family that stayed in china and some of the other part of the family that moved to japan and stayed there and all of these different cultures clashing and how different it is and there's some really genuine moments um, where they interact and it's like that's how a family interacts. That's mm-hmm. how, that's the way, you know, families are awkward together. That's the way families can laugh together. Um, yeah. And it's just really, really heartfelt. And it's a great, it's been presented in such a good way that you feel, you come away from it feeling like you understand more about another culture in a way that you wouldn't have before, like you've been given this little spyglass into it. Um, again, I'm not a Chinese-American, as you may have guessed. Um, so I, I, as far as its accuracy is concerned, I'm not sure. However, the reviews I've read um, and the praise that's been thrown upon it would indicate that it's fairly close to the mark. Okay, um, I mean, was it made by a Chinese-American like writer, director? Uh, I believe so. It was it was actually quite an interesting story. So it was directed and made during the time that the the maker of the film, his grandmother was actually dying of terminal cancer, All right. and his family were not telling her. Uh-huh. So it was it was actually happening in real life, and she found out that she was dying of terminal cancer because mm. she turned up to the filming of the film kind of about her oh shit it's a fascinating story <laughs> a bit awkward um, but she ended up actually living for another six years apparently so there you go nice not apparently actually and uh. um, <laughs> um which is uh, a lot of fun fascinating film and um the protagonist in it is played by i can't remember the actress's name uh, I'm very bad uh, with names that i don't write down patch if i don't have a book full of notes i'm, I'm a very bad presenter um, That's fine. There's a lot of names to remember in the world, you know. It, it turns out that she, when I when I, I looked her up afterwards, she's a rapper. She's written for Comedy Central. She's written for uh, SNL. Um, and I looked through some of her stuff, and she's um, she's brilliant. Did you ever see? Uh, I think it was 2018 that it was released, Lady Bird. N- uh, no, no, I'd like to see it though. It's supposed to be very good. Yes. Um, I think I would put them in the same sort of category uh, okay. of sort of um, slice of life. I hate that expression, but it, it, everyone knows what yeah, it is. It's the genre of movie. Slice of life. It's a little bit of 
of sort of real life made in a really charming fashion. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd put it in that sort of category. So if any of the listeners have seen and liked Ladybird, I would recommend you watch The Farewell. You'll the also Farewell. enjoy that. Nice. That's two films to add to my recommended list. There you are. Um, right. So have you been enjoying anything else? Yeah, man. Uh, just to swerve it back to the topic of 90s nostalgia, because I also have uh, something I want to bring up. Um, I've been playing through the remake of Final Fantasy VII on oh. the PlayStation 4. Holy shit. That is... What a game. What an absolute game. Really enjoying it. Um... I only and I only played the original Final Fantasy VII for the first time about two years ago. I've not even completed it, but it's one of those games that feels like it's been in my life forever. You know, since like when it came out in '97, because it's such a cultural touchstone when it comes to video games that I feel like I know the game inside out without ever having completed it. And this weird nostalgia hit that comes from the opening mission which they've kind of remade shot for shot is incredible like they've done all the music modern they've just it's yeah it's so good um but after that main mission the game just takes us like at, like a complete left turn into being like this it's not your grandpappy's final fantasy 7 it's going to we're going to do all the same story beats but there's going to be some new stuff thrown in there and it will get there just in a very different way um, and it's fantastic, man. It's just so, 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 so good. <laughs> is, it ve- is it very good then? Yeah, man. Um, yeah, the combat's really good. You know, they've updated it, so it's not like... You know, while the turn-based com- combat of the original Final Fantasy VII is really good and intuitive, they've kind of updated it to what I believe the combat system was in Final Fantasy Fifteen. Where you'd be fighting a battle in real time, but you could issue commands to your party members. You know, so you could still cast spells and use items and heal people, but at the same time you'd be, you know, unleashing these incredible uh, sword combos mm. on these incred on these maze, you know, amazingly over the top bosses and animals that, out of context, you know, in a twenty twenty context, like they're just bonkers. You know, like some monsters they reappear you're like they couldn't have pulled that off in this new one that's that was so out there and weird in a 1990s game how have they well they've managed to find ways to fit in all the weird monsters and it's incredible like things show up and you're like oh i can't believe they put that in there that's so good um some of the some of the monster design in final fantasy 7 was bananas yeah yeah no they managed to justify a lot of the more they don't over explain it but it's more of just putting it into a context where it makes sense in the new game do you know what I mean hmm. so it's not yeah. it's not being like well this is here because midichlorians and it makes and we've engineered it in a way that this beast it's just like the beast is not explained it's still there but it's it's just put into a different context um so yeah and you know the music's all updated like I said not quite how I would have imagined it because I really like the original Final Fantasy 7 soundtrack uh, the battle theme like I really like the sort of organ and the rock and roll sound of it but they kind of make it more orchestral which is fine it's a style choice that I'm just not 
100% there with. Um, but yeah, hearing some of the some of the new tracks updated still give you like a weird like nostalgia shiver down your back. Like, oh, it's this place. We're back at Aerith's house, you know? And it looks just like I remember it, but only in full HD, 1080p, 4K graphics, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and there's like new stuff in there as well that, you know, they've... This remake, it's like part one of three. So they've split the game out up. They've split the game up into three parts. Uh, so this remake only covers the Midgard section. Okay. Uh, so I've not completed it yet, but it kind of gets up to the bit where you're leaving Midgard. And then I believe it stops there. And then the future installments of the remake will be... You know, going into going out into the open world, doing the golden saucer stuff, I guess, and then visiting Cloud's hometown. So that's all still to come. But what they so they've managed to pack in tons more Midgar stuff, and it really fleshes out the world, and it looks amazing. Um, yeah, it's awesome, man. Just I've got so much high praise for that game. Every time I sit down down and play it, I'm like, I can't believe, I can't believe they did this. It's so good. Yeah. It's been on the cards for a while. Um... I had heard that it was just the Midgard section, and I had I've made I've made the uh, decision to myself that I'm not going to learn anything about it. I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to watch any let's plays. Not going to see anything about it until it's all been released. Robin, mate, yeah, you'll I'm be waiting a long ass time, man. That's going to be <laughs> if it takes ten years. It takes ten years. I'll play it. I'll do it in ten years. I think it took about six years just for this one to come out. So you'll be an old man. You know, <laughs> the thing is, I can I can wait. You know, um, here's the thing: Final Fantasy VII is probably the most influential game in my life. Yeah, very I think- very dear to me. I played Final Fantasy VII in my bedroom with a six by six, six inches by six inches camping TV that ran on two nine volt batteries Holy in the crap. back. Yeah, and I kept a massive stack of 9-volt batteries so I could play through Final Fantasy VII on my PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. I am um, obsessed over this game. Yeah. I dug through every single little piece of it when I was that age, and I've played it through maybe 10 times, 11 times since that. Yeah. Probably more. Um, it's a game that's very, very dear to my heart. Nice man, that's really good. No, I was aware that you had a kind of uh, more deep. I was aware that you had a deeper history of it than myself, because, like I said, I've only played it really recently. But I am aware of its influence on a lot of people. It's just, it's like, it's like the Final Fantasy to a lot of people, you know. Um, it is, it is the Final Fantasy game to a lot of people. I think certainly it's. I think it's considered one of the most influential, and it's one of the ones that hit people the hardest. Yeah, and um, yeah, funnily enough, like it does cyberpunk really well. Like to go back to Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, this is like a cyberpunk game that's finished, you know. <laughs> and they just it's just low key. It's like very low key cyberpunk, you know. It's like there's some magic in there, but the world is like you know it's a big dystopian industrial city that you're living in, and it's under the control of this mega corporation. It's like oh yeah. There are some parallels there with uh, Cyberpunk 2077, and they've just, it's just, you know, they took their time with it, and they put it together, made sure it was well, they, I think they 
they almost finished the game and then scrapped it and then started it again. Basically, they'd almost finished the game and they were like, you know what? It's not up to snuff. Let's scrap it and start it all over again. Um, and it's worth the wait. Like I like I said, with my limited history of Final Fantasy VII, I feel like they have done it justice. Um, and then some. You know? So, hopefully going to be worth the wait for you, man. You know? Uh well, you know what? We'll check back if we're still recording Don't Go Outside in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, episode 230 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that would be that would be a fun episode. Wouldn't it just... Robin finally plays Final Fantasy VII Remake <laughs> on his <laughs> dusty old it. PlayStation 4. You you won't have aged a day. I'll be, I'll be crumbly in, in bits. <laughs> you might have to take that vampire... We, okay, here's the thing. Would you take that vampire bite for a mortal life just so you can play the Final Fantasy VII remake as a whole? Yes. If you were uh, offered eternal life. I would do that. Fantastic. Just add you to, to the list. That's a big tick there. <laughs> got, like a, a pre order vampire list. Is there I've just uh, got I've got pre- a note. I've just I'm just keeping a note of uh, of a potential uh potential vampire mates you know yeah okay uh, well you know I'll need to speak to Pazuzu about his um, environmental policy but I think mm. we could uh, think we could I mean the environment's out. fucked mate I mean we live in an apocalyptic <laughs> wasteland <laughs> it's a good point it's a very yeah. good point Come on down to Mad Max's Man Meat. Do you need meat? Don't care where it comes from? Mad Max's Man Meat's got your man meat for you. Mad Meat? Mad Max Man Meat. <laughs> straight from the Thunderdome. You can get these Thunder Thighs straight from the Thunderdome. Only 10 caps 99. Can you believe it? Genuine Thunder Thighs from a huge whale-sized woman. Oh man, if you want man meat, but not necessarily a man's meat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to suggest we move on to our topic of the week, actually, because it's a natural move from a game which came out of 1980s corporate greed, and the game was a strong environmental response to that. Maybe we should move on to another piece of media that discusses and critiques 1980s corporate greed. Um... Okay, I mean, you lost me for a bit there, but I think you turned me back around. Um, yeah, okay, let's move on to our big topic this week, uh, which is the the new entry in the DC um, Expanded Universe, Wonder Woman 1984. Yes, Take it away, Wonder Robin. Wo- Wonder Woman 1984, where Gal Gadot reprises her role as Wonder Woman. Quick question. Um, and, and oh, sorry? Is it not Gal Gadot? Is it Gadot? I think it's Gadot. I don't think it's Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot sounds like a, like an alien <laughs> emperor. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Okay, I'll, I'll I am Gal Gadot. <laughs> surrender, surrender to me all your eighties nostalgia. <laughs> I think it's Gal Gadot. <laughs> oh man, this is that's worse than Scottish people saying fajita instead of fajita. Fajita. Um, you are a fucking um, Well, you know this is what happens when you just read and you don't you don't watch stuff. True, you got to watch uh, some interviews with uh, with uh, with Gal Gadot because she's yeah she's great. She's a very she's got her head on straight. She knows what she's doing, um, which uh, so surprising then that 
uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is in the state it's in, but let's kick it off you're, there, Robin. You're getting ahead of yourself. You're yeah, sorry, of yourself. I, I interrupted your, your intro. Let's uh, start from the top. Well, okay. So, in uh, Wonder Woman 1984, Gal Gadot reprises her role as Wonder Woman, um, leading on from the original Wonder Woman where she acted in the Second World War. Now, it's First. in 19, 1984 America, height of corporate consumerism. She is playing as... Uh, well, not playing as, she actually is. She's uh, an archaeologist of some description. I can't remember the exact variant of scientist she is, or, or archaeologist she is. Um, and she takes the reins from there. There is a, a, a big baddie, which we'll soon discuss. She offs him in the end. Happy days, good wins, evil loses. No surprises there. Um, what was your initial thoughts um, I mean, my initial thoughts kind of had to do, like, I'll pull you up on saying that there was a big baddie because there wasn't really a big villain. It was like two idiot antagonists who didn't really know what they wanted or, you know, they didn't really have any proper motivation other than I want to be better than other people. It wasn't like in the first film where it was like Ares, the god of war, secretly influencing World War One to make it much worse than it should have been. It's just like like a greedy uh, con man becoming a stone of wishes and Kirsten Wig, who was, you know, uh, unconfident, unsure of herself, um, gemologist, I think is what she said. Um uh, just being like, I want to be more like zoologist as well. I cryptozoologist, believe. gemologist. We'll get to that. Just being like, I want to be more confident, and then becoming too confident. So there wasn't like a strong antagonist. It was just like two fools <laughs> who just kept making bad decisions. And I'll totally, I'll totally agree with that. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, I think, I think. Uh, I'm getting the feeling that you didn't enjoy this very much, but let's talk about what it did well. Now, I think that the 1980s greed is good consumerist um, setting they created mm-hmm. was done very well. The costume design, perfect, great. Yeah. The, the, the general environment, that opening uh, advert that introduces our... Um, our villain, who I've got his name written down here somewhere, uh, is it can Max you Black. His name? Is it what? Sorry, is it Max Black or Max Stone? Max, Max, um, uh, and he he does this, um, you know, in, incredibly over the top, uh, you know, greed is good kind of eighties commercial, and it yeah. really gave me that sort of RoboCop feeling. If you, oh if yeah, walk, yeah, you know that kind of like almost um, caricature of it, and I, yeah. I think it did that. I think it did that really well, and I uh-huh. I enjoyed that. Another point was there was a couple of uh, there was a couple of points that you know there was really good gags in it that actually actually made me laugh, um, like the scene where Chris Pine was testing out new outfits. 
genuinely funny moment. Or yeah. um, there was one particular gag that I wrote down because it made me uh, like spit. It made me spit out my coffee. My um, <laughs> it was um, it was when they were in the plane and um, she turns the plane invisible again. Nice touch, turning the plane invisible. Uh-huh. And uh, she's like, I only did it once before. It was to a coffee cup and I lost it. I it buckled me. That's a good. That's a good gag. It's a good joke, um, like, Yeah. Um, so I thought there was, you know, there was some good humor in it, mm-hmm. um, and I think, uh, oh, I think that's about that's about all I have to say. <laughs> oh, oh, also, Barbara's outfit. Um, Barbara, what, what's the actress's name? Barb. Uh, which character was Barbara? Uh, uh, Cheetah. Oh, uh, Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig. Her outfit when she. Um, comes back as a sort of fully realized uh you know super villain whatever uh, to the white house oh my goodness what an outfit that's a what good an outfit. outfit just like you know madonna would be given a big thumbs up mm-hmm. and a high five to that it's good it's a good um, 80s rock and roll outfit so i uh, i guess other than that <laughs> i don't have much i mean uh, yeah oh no no i do i do have Go one on. more positive note to say they managed to make flying an invisible jet cool, which that's that's not an easy task. Um, yeah, they made they yeah they explained the, the invisible jet. Sure, I don't know if they made it cool, but no, they made flying it... through the scene where they fly through the fireworks. It's pretty, and, the, and you just saw the sort of like trails and the sort of shape of the plane going through. I thought that was kind of a cool way to try and make what is ostensibly. Um, uh, a transparent patch of sky. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I think they did, visually, did that quite well. Visually quite nice, yeah. But, I mean, the invisible jet, that's just one of many plot points that I, I, I had problems with. Because, like, the, it's what? It's, a, it's an old jet just waiting on a airfield, just ready to go, fueled, fully fueled up. And the F- World War One fighter pilot knows how to fly it, and they get away, and then they fly this fighter pilot, which I'm going to assume has missiles attached to the wings. They decide to fly it through a firework display. Uh, why? That's just that's just a bad, bad, bad decisions, bad, bad story decisions all over. I did actually make a note of a note to Google, which I haven't Googled, which is it's written here. What actually happens when a firework hits a plane? Because, <laughs> well, um, apparently nothing. Well, here's the thing. My um, my sister, interestingly, um, this is out universe. This is in, in real life. She, uh-huh. she, she studied aeronautical engineering. Uh-huh. Um, and so she's told me about things like bird strikes. So they have to design airplanes with the thing in mind that birds are going to hit airplanes at massive speeds. Yeah. So I'm there must have been aeronautical engineers somewhere who have calculated what will happen to a fighter jet if it gets struck with a with a firework. <laughs> so um, the, I, my my thinking is initially, I think the, I think the plane would probably take a firework and be fine. That's that's my thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little cylinder filled with gunpowder. However, um, an experienced pilot who is good enough to be able to go from what is it, World War One or yeah, World War One, like biplane, a world, a World War One pilot can just go into a a a fighter jet. Fine, fair enough. 
Um, and he can fly. Okay, that's maybe his superpower. That's great. No masks. You know, we, we, You're not um, putting on the helmet or the flight mask for oxygen yeah. because of the speed you're going at. I mean, come on. And also, like you know, maybe he'd be a bit more cautious. I, I don't, I'm not sure. I think it was. I think it was quite silly, but I'll give it a pass on the fact that it's just yeah, it's kind of cool, and that's fine. Yeah, but like too many things in this film were were. It's fine in a film to have some silly moments that don't make very much sense, but there was too much of it in this film where, like, something's got to give. You need to be able to logically explain something, otherwise it's just a film full of random shit that doesn't make sense. And it's such a shame as well because I really liked the first Wonder Woman film. It was, like, the good film. It's the only good film from the DC... from the present DC universe, you know? And I would agree. Um, right away. I think, sorry, on you go. I think if anything, it's kind of shown how special that first film was. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because like right away, I was watching it with my fiance, and the first scene, I was like, "Those whip physics don't make sense." And she was like, "Well, it's a you know magical superhero movie," and I was like, "Yeah, no, sure, yeah, we'll give it a pass." But then, as more and more things didn't make sense and plot holes began to reveal themselves it was like the whip not making physical sense and how does the whip manage to wiggle around like a snake and grow and that that annoyed me far too much to i couldn't really focus on anything else you know and mm. something I, I, no please go on i just say something's got to give you know you got to have you got to base some of your superhero fantastical superhero powers in kind of physical reality that's Sure, you can have you can have these big bombastic, fantastic ideas, but you need to ground them in some sense of scientific reality. Otherwise, it takes you out of it too much. You know what I mean? I actually think I think you're right. Um, what was it? Um, George R. R. Martin said something. If if you want people to believe that dragons exist in your world, they need to know. That hor- uh, they need to understand ho- how horses work in your world. Yeah, I've probably butchered that quote, but basically he's saying, you know, if you want people to believe in fantastical, magical things, they need to also believe in the sort of meat and potatoes and physics of your world. Yeah. So I totally get what you're saying. However, what I would say is, well, the whip thing didn't actually bother me that much. However, um, I, I, I think I would. You'd be totally. I think. As an audience, we'd be totally more happy to give the invisible plane a pass, give the whip a pass, give all of the su- the silly, over-the-top superhero stuff a pass if there wasn't just fundamental broken plot holes yeah. that made absolutely no sense and just broke the story completely because those made the, the, the silly superhero stuff seem even more egregiously silly. Yeah, exactly. Um, shall we move on? I guess that. Then, to just the, well, if we're moving on to plot the, holes, maybe we should just save the first time in a long time. Uh, we're going to do a spoiler alert for Wonder Woman 1984. If you haven't watched it yet, it's available on quite a few streaming services. You can you can rent it for on Amazon Prime. At least I did for fifteen ninety nine. I don't think it's worth it, but if you want to watch it, there you go. Uh, so from here on out, spoilers for Wonder Woman 1989. Go go. Um, so yes, B- 
big major plot point that I kept thinking of throughout the entire movie. What about this poor guy that's just gone missing? That Chris Pine's taken over his body. You know, does he not have loved ones or family members? I've to got that for him? written down. <laughs> what about his life? Ruined. You know, everyone's just cool with it. Everyone's ah. totally cool that this guy has just been possessed, and no one even questions it. A dude has basically got killed. <laughs> no ah. one's even. No one cares. Um, and it's like, I'd love. What I'd love, I I don't mind that concept, but I would love some reference to it. Like maybe there's missing posters, like about being like, have you seen this guy? And they need to be, and like one of the issues that Wonder Woman has with, you know, saying goodbye to Chris Pine's character. Maybe he's like, well, I have to go. I'm I'm in this guy's body. He needs to get back to his real life. You know, forget yeah. the fact that you're giving away your wish, renouncing your wish. You know, you have to be like, well, morality you know, morally, I gotta give this guy's body back. I can't just quantum leap into his soul forever. I need to, I, uh, you know, there's there's a human being the, I'm living inside, you know? The thing that, the, the thing that bothers me as well is there was an easy way around it in that they could have just made it that, just a little bit that he, the guy had died and, and, Chris Pine just launches into his body. He, yeah. The guy had cardiac arrest. He had, uh, I don't know, an aneurysm or something. Mm-hmm. And Chris Pine gets into his body. And they could have just, Chris Pine could have had a bit of dialogue like, I think I had a heart attack or something. Yeah. Or when they were looking in his, his room, they were like, this guy died. You know? Yeah, like, could have so easily, so easily. Uh, like the guy know, wakes up been, in a gurney, on a gurney in a morgue, being like, I'm alive! But it's Chris Pine, yeah. you know? You know, there's loads of other ways that would have totally got around this ethical question of why does no one address the fact that you've possessed a man (laughs) and his consciousness has been evaporated and completely annihilated? That's so fucked up. Messed (laughs) up, right? It's just I I couldn't get over it. And I think that's, that's really the thing that made all the superhero stuff more annoying. It's like, well, if you had said... Even like even if you'd said like oh it's just Chris Pine he's just he's just materialized out of thin air that I would have been happy with that you know because it's a wish you know if you're dealing with magic wishes why do you have to be like he's possessing a guy's body you know just like have him materialize f- from thin air like everything well, else I mean, did even if they made it that you know part of the, the 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 nasty end of the wish was the fact that you have to deal with the ethical tumultuousness of taking another man's life to bring yeah. back the person that you love but they didn't even reference it <laughs> they didn't <laughs> even talk about it <laughs> so weird so weird um, man what, what um, one of the oh god I've just uh, I've got another point in the good thing Chris Pine does look good in a white t-shirt I think we all just need to address <laughs> that um, yeah that man wearing a white t-shirt. He doesn't need to wear anything else. Dude can just wear a white t-shirt. Or just t-shirt. Donald Duck it around on set. <laughs> okay, maybe some jeans. But, like, <laughs> you know, he looks good in a white t-shirt. Yeah, no, um, he's, he's a handsome man. Anyway, uh, so one of, the, one of the big problems I had was why do they assume that everyone is an idiot? That all of the entire planet, all of the people on it, are idiots and they're only going to wish for selfish, terrible stuff. Yeah, right? Where, yeah. 
Where are all the people who will think, hmm, how do I beat this whole monkey's paw thing? Maybe, uh, you know, the monkey's paw dilemma has been around for thousands of years, uh-huh. maybe longer. Why? Uh, people have thought about things that can beat the monkey's paw logic. Where are those people wishing? You know, people don't purely make stupid wishes. The, yeah. the entire population isn't stupid, and assuming they are, is it's, that's mental and also a bit um, misanthropic. Yeah, and like it sucks for the people. Um, you know, at the end of the film, everyone renounces their wishes because the world is going topsy turvy because everyone's wishing for a horribly selfish thing. But it sucks for the people who were like, "Oh, I wish my, f- you know, my loved ones weren't terminally ill." It's like, well. Pfft. <laughs> You gotta gotta send that wish Fuck back. Fuck you. You know, um, and yeah, it's just, and you can't assume that everyone, that everyone is gonna renounce their wish as well. So the world is still gonna yeah. be kind of fucked. You know, from from that event at the end where Wonder Woman somehow manages to broadcast to everyone, renounce your wish because the world is going crazy. There's got to be thousands of people who are like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, I'm, I'm keeping my wish, you know? Well, I'm a millionaire. I, I think the expl- explanation for that is because she had the um, lasso of truth around his, around him. Oh, of course. And that meant that all of all of the people had to tell the truth, and deep down they knew that their wish was a bad thing. That's more whip but, physics that don't make sense, because, like, she couldn't physically get towards Max Power, Max Stone, whatever his name was, but somehow the the whip slithers through and wraps around his leg like a snake. Patch, I really think you're focusing on the whip physics a little much. There is way worse. There's way worse stuff we could talk. I about demand. In this film than I the demand whip real whip physics in my superhero movies. It's not too much to ask. <laughs> um. So I think that's the explanation that everyone's forced to tell the truth. Okay. Um. But but my oh I mean. Where where are the where are the physicists and theologists who immediately went? Oh, I wish that an, immo- an immovable force, uh, sorry, an immovable object makes an unstoppable force. Oh God, that's that's an earth-shattering paradox. The universe has now ended. What what, what happened there? Mm. You know, it, it completely discounts that fact and the whole building a film on the idea of wish physics is (laughs) wish physics wish and whip physics it's it's just it's almost as bad as waking up and it was all a dream you know yeah anything can be explained eh? with with wish wishes you just got a wish for it (laughs) um so uh, I found I found that problematic um have you got any other plot holes you'd like to highlight um yeah like i get that cheetah is one of wonder woman's uh classic villains it's kind of like how the red skull is one of uh captain america's classic villains like it's not a well-known villain but they're well known in the in the pantheon of of that character's nemesis Right, but it doesn't make sense in this in the context of this film that she would be like, "I want to be Cheetah Lady now." There wasn't any prior build up to being like, 
I'm really into big like I there was a very brief mention that she was a cryptozoologist and she was like I like your leopard print shoes and that's from that we've to ascertain oh she obviously wants to be human cheetah lady <laughs> you know there must there I really you know I I'm always I'm a sucker for for um I'm a sucker for things being for laying little eggs narrative eggs in the story uh, foreshadowing I think is the technical term for it <laughs> I just remembered you got, you got there you yeah. got there but narrative eggs being laid <laughs> by the writer yeah. of being like listen this person is really into cheetahs or she she's into like fast animals she went she spent some time in Africa or whatever and uh, she she really admired how the cheetah was an apex predator and she says as much I want to be an apex predator but is the cheetah really an well, apex predator? Wouldn't that not be like this a lioness actually, or a hawk this or a is what shark? Got me. This is what really got me about yeah. that. Is this is a really dumb thing to say for a number of reasons. One, in the cheetah's environment, it's not an apex predator. No. No, it's not. And also, I want to be an apex predator could mean you are a bacteriophage. Because in some environments, they're apex predators within Mm -hmm. their area. Oh, and you know what the the top apex predator is on this planet? It's a human, not a cheetah. Yeah. It's a human being. The Um, most deadly creature on the planet is is man, you know? Yeah. Why would you term, why would you say apex predator for a cheetah? It's nonsense. (laughs) I mean, um, I, you gotta. I mean, to be honest, I'm happy with that being explained away as like she just went into more detail after they cut that scene. You know, like uh, there's a hidden she scene. Specified. Yeah, she's like, I've drawn a little costume. This is what I want to look like. <laughs> but, but yeah, it doesn't make sense for that character to want to be the cheetah lady. Is what I'm saying. You know, they could have yeah. had a better backstory. I liked her character. You know, I quite liked that she was like, I want to be more confident and powerful, like Diana. Uh, of Themyscira, you know, because that's quite a fun, that's quite an interesting thing to aspire to be. But then for it to go over the top and be like, no, I want to be Cheetah Lady now. It's like, oh, you could have done could have done better, <clears throat> I think, in in getting to that point. But I wonder if the movie was already too full of bullshit that they were like, well, we kind of just have to jump to Cheetah Lady because there's too much other things going on, you know? Um. Yeah, and I think. To be honest, I, the whole cheetah lady problem typifies a lot of the problems I have with this. And are we going to walk into problematic misogyny, Corner? Um, I don't know. Just start talking, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll rein you in if if needed. <laughs> well, I'll put on the disclaimer that I realise I am no authority, nor I am qualified in any way to talk about sexism and misogyny, as uh, I am a thirty-year-old white male from a developed western nation um however i'm gonna um so i I mean just for a film that's supposed to be about empowerment of women Mm -hmm. which i mean the first one did pretty fantastically um, and, and was received quite well for that yeah how how have we led into a film where um wonder woman it needs chris pang's help so much um she's actively disempowered through most of it Mm -hmm. um the only other female character male female character who has some power 
rather than them working together, um, because it's the only other powerful woman, they have to fight and be against each other. Yeah. Um, and the the big, big horrible bad guy, this awful man, gets his nice redemption arc, and then <laughs> to just throw more fuel on the fire, the goddamn rapist that was gonna rape Barbara and got stopped by Wonder Woman. We're supposed to feel bad for this guy when Barbara gets superpowers and kicks the crap out of him. And then her homeless buddy's like, oh my god, Barbara, what are you doing? I don't She's kicking the crap out of a rapist. <laughs> well, I don't know if you we're know? supposed to feel... We shouldn't... I don't know if we're supposed to feel... feel yeah, I don't know if we're supposed to feel bad for that guy. I just think we're well, supposed no, to feel like, oh, she's, she's close to killing someone. She, her powers are at their peak at this point, you know? Well, I think we are supposed to feel bad. And I think I mean, this I is hammered home when... When Wonder Woman says, you can't, um, you can't kill innocent men or something along those lines. Mm. And it's like, that's a direct reference to this rapist she kicked the crap out of. And it's, it's like, it's, so we're supposed to feel bad for this? And you've painted this weird ultra-masculine, ni- well, not weird, this ultra-masculine 1980s corporate culture as a bad thing. Yeah. But your actions <clears throat> are disempowering the female characters, making them fight each other rather than the problem. And um, it, it basically making this this weird sort of making us feel bad for this horrible dude. Yeah, it's it's like it doesn't make sense. Um, and it I find it very confusing. I find it like it's not really living up to what it should be. Yeah. Um, and it actively debases its aspirations. Um, no, I get so, that. So, so yeah, um, that's 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 what I thought about that. That makes sense. I don't think you're too out of line to be making any of those points. I think they're all very valid, um, especially as you said, given you know how um, how well received the last film was in terms of uh, a you know a female superhero you know empowering you know an empowered female character. I don't. My issue with that on that topic was that Wonder Woman spent the better part of seventy years pining. <laughs> pining after <laughs> after this guy that died you know um like yeah, obviously yeah. obviously i understand that you can fall in love with someone and have your heart broken and they're they're the one they're the one person for you that's i that's totally fine but i don't i think it kind of detracts from her character that she can't really focus on anything else in her life for 70 years you know given that she's meant to be kind of like a s- strong um, you know, like a stronger character who's got this resolve, who's like, well, I'll just get on with life anyway, and I'll have a soft spot for them, I'll always remember, but as soon as this person comes back into my life, I can't function, you know? This is, this is, I just want to be, I don't know, maybe, I mean, I no, suppose I that's what, lo- that's kind of right. what love is, but, do you know what I mean? It's like... No, no, I think you're totally right, yeah. and I think um, the character they've painted, or they painted for um, for Wonder Woman, as this independent, um, strong, immortal, yeah. she's biologically immortal as far as I know, yeah. um, woman, she, of course, you know, I, I still remember when I've been in love with other people and things have went badly, you know, it doesn't mean that I didn't love them at the time, yeah. it doesn't mean that I'll... Ha- I'll cast my eyes back and think fondly and it doesn't mean sometimes you'll get those little nicks of pain when you remember the good times. Mm-hmm. That's reality. That's life. But for someone of that stature 
to, you know, basically hold on to this weird, intense crush love for 70 years? I've just had a thought. Nuts. Yeah. Um, and also, sorry, I'm, I'm going to finalise with... Go on. Uh, finish off this point with what just popped in my head is in Mass Effect 2. Yeah. Um, there is a race called the Asari. Yeah. And they live for, like, one and a half thousand years, two 2,000 years. Yeah. Um, and there's one particular dialogue in the Citadel where you speak to... Oh, my God, this is quite quite in-depth Mass Effect 2 lore, so if you don't know, skip ahead, like, a minute or two. Um, and you speak to this Asari, um, and I can't remember what you're doing. It's to do with the quest, but she mentions the fact that, oh, yeah, I dated a human once. They were really nice. I was in love with them, but they don't live for very long. And it's... That, for me, is... That's the way Wonder Woman would look at it. Yeah. You know? She's immortal. She's hyper-intelligent. She's financially capable. She's a a superhero. So, yes, she could spend, you know, a human lifetime with a human and have a nice relationship with them. But that doesn't mean she's going to be pining over them forever. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, this could just be how comic books and that kind of film have very crude and um, blunt interpretations of love but I still think it's just dumb and it debases her character. Yeah, I did think of a counter argument to that just while we were talking about it so I wonder if it was an effort because I think as this is the direct sequel to the first Wonder Woman film I wonder if if that was just a a narrative choice to because you don't want her to you want her to seem Wonder Woman at her heart, she's a very compassionate character, and you don't want the character, you know, you don't want her in her in the follow up to the film where she loses the love interest. You you don't really want her to seem cold, you know. You don't want her to be like, well, that was seventy years ago, whatever, you know. And I wonder if that was if this was a choice to um, to go in the opposite direction to be like, well, we want her to we want her to still remember the love she felt for this human man uh, we don't want her just to move on and forget about it because that would make her seem a bit cold hearted and we get that she's immortal but I wonder if there's maybe some learning that she has to do to cope with that that maybe might be dealt with in a future film because I remember I watched Thor The Dark World recently and that was the se- you know that's the sequel to Thor where he falls in love with the human Jane Foster and there's a scene between Thor and Odin where Odin's like they're humans they live for like a blink of an eye in terms of how long we live like I don't get why you're so caught up on this human why not focus on you know Lady Sif or one of the other women on on um, on Asgard and Thor's like well you don't get it dad you know <laughs> it's like I'm in love with this woman <laughs> Um, so I wonder if it's kind of more along those lines where she has found, you know, I'm just, yeah, I just found a counter argument. I was like, it kind of makes more sense now that I've kind of thought about it a bit more, but I don't know. Yeah. I still think it's, I still think it doesn't ha- hold much weight because all they would have needed to do is just have that little scene where she looks at his st- looks at his watch and looks at the pictures, and then it's like. Yeah, she does have a heart. She has compassion. She remembers that. It's a throwback to the old film. Shows that she's still got a heart and she's not some kind of ice queen. Yeah. You know? Making a whole arc about how she's completely dependent on a man's love is insane. And also, 
the fact that there was that little bit at the end where she has the chat with the guy who used to be Chris Pine. Uh-huh. And then it like sort of nods towards, oh yeah, you'll love again because <laughs> the only way you can feel whole as a woman is if you're in love with a man. Mm. And it's like, fucking hell, come on! Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I thought it was I thought it was going to be really weird where she falls in love with the guy that Chris that Pine was weird. inside. I was like, that's a bit messed up. Like, you know, there's, there's plenty more fish in the sea. Don't just go for the guy... That your guy was inside of, you know, that's a bit messed up. <laughs> uh, um, go for the guy that your guy was inside of. Yeah. Didn't realize she was uh, polyamorous. That's a very interesting dynamic they could have went with. Hey man, she's from ancient Greece. Uh, they, 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 uh, that's the kind of the kind of culture it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of those mosaics, man. <laughs> I like him. Um, I like to think that you know the ending scene was a, was at Christmas. But maybe just someone hadn't renounced their wish to uh, make it Christmas every day, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a world now where it is Christmas all the time <laughs> because one person didn't renounce their wish, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I think we kind of uh, we kind of we kind of shredded Wonder Woman there. I mean, yeah, it's it's. I just didn't enjoy it, you know. The CGI was bad. The whip physics were horrible. The story didn't make sense. It was two and a half hours long. Yeah, I mean that's the thing because it doesn't. I learned it was two and a half hours long. I was like, what? It didn't. It certainly didn't feel like that. I think I was enjoying it too much as just being like, this movie is nonsense and ridiculous. And I think I I I think I enjoyed it as a bad film, and I was just disappointed that it was bad. You know, it started off quite strong with, like, Wonder Woman doing her thing around the city, like, saving the day and thwarting bank heists. Like, that was quite cool. I liked the kind of cartoony tone of it. And if I liked been that more too, of... and I liked that they had, they did it to the, the opening advert of the Black Gold Corporation. Yeah. That, it had me, had me salivating. I thought it was like, yeah, okay, we're into something, this could be good. Yeah, but then I think it tries to deal too much with too many concepts and the fact that it all hinges around wishes as well it's like <sighs> come on man yeah like at any point when she was when chris pine was in the hallway of the white house fighting the guy he made contact with him multiple times he knew that he had to touch him and make a wish for it to come true and instead of wishing for the wish stone to come out of him he wished for the ability to have handcuffs to him so he wouldn't get away it's like, why wouldn't you run to the guy, <laughs> tackle him, grab him, and be like, I yeah. wish you weren't the wish stone anymore. That's the end of the story. Oh my goodness, The yeah. film would be over like that, you know? So that pissed me off. Being like, why is no one just grabbing him, being like, I wish you weren't the wish stone? Because easy, easy done, you know? Uh, yeah, but then, uh, no, that, that, that doesn't actually make sense. Because then he could say, yes, but then I take back your wish, or something ridiculous, as as is... Yeah, well, you know, every, so what? You know, Take back the wish. It's fine. <laughs> That's what everyone does at the end of the movie anyway. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, that could be countered. Um, yeah, I don't see. I'm not, sold, I'm not sold on that. But Okay, okay. Let's look at it this way, right? So every time someone makes a wish through um, Max, uh-huh. Max then stipulates... Uh, Max then makes a stipulation to that wish. So I... Uh, I wish that you had all my oil. Um, sorry, I wish that I had um, my land back. And then Max stipulates, I'll have your security force. Then immediately has the security force. Yeah. So if Chris Pine was to say, I wish you weren't the wish stone anymore, 
then Max could stipulate, um, I do not want that to be true. You know, you could he, he could. No, but he has to grant wish. the wish. Yeah, but it it only it only gets granted after his stipulation. He just has to do a little Uno reverse, man. <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, you. That's all he has. <laughs> I wish you weren't here. Yeah, exactly. I wish you were that normal guy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, that's 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 getting down into it, and it's uh, it, that is the exact kind of discussion which highlights how fucking ludicrous a wish plot is. Yeah, fucking hell. I mean. Yeah, because I always, I often talk about how time travel can ruin a plot, uh, the plot of a movie. But I mean, wishes are up there, man. Wish like that's just it's not something I even consider as the as the basis for a movie's plot. You know, <laughs> I know it's obscene. It's, it's obscene. I think obscene's it's a good obscene. place to leave it. Like, um, I think we've kind of we've kind of like absolutely rinse this out so I will I, I have got another positive note okay that, that that was one of the gags that made me laugh is um, when Barbara is going through her transition and it's like it's such a wonderfully cliche dork to cool person transition that you see in like 80s 90s uh, films yeah and I just thought I think that's great like you know all the way up to now I mean Mean Girls has it <laughs> you know Easy A um, what is it? Uh, heathers, uh, loads of these things, um, and I was like, "That's that's cool. I like that. That's funny. That made me laugh." What did she do? Uh, you know, when she was like uh, waking up in the morning at her desk, and then you know she just sort of fixed her hair, and then did her top a bit different, and then boom, she was super cool. Yeah. And she danced out the Let way. Let her hair and, down, took her know, glasses I that off. Was like, yeah, yeah. It was that, li- that was. I like that. Yeah, it was little nods to like eighties culture and films which I do stuff, did yeah. quite like they got the 80s stuff down it was a very stranger things uh feel you know like um yeah yeah so that was nice they but- built a really good world and just sat a big shit of a plot on top of it. <laughs> I wish this film was awful oh no <laughs> <laughs> what have I done uh, uh, so yeah we um would you go outside for Wonder Woman 1984? God, no. God, um, God, no. <laughs> I don't even have anything funny to say. Yeah. Just no. Um, I would not go to... No, just just keep yeah. it away from me. Yeah, I can't, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go outside for Wonder Woman 1984. I'm kind of... Kind of disappointed that... Uh, that I wouldn't. I was kind of. I had high hopes for this film. I thought it was going to be really good, but um, sooner time after the first one, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for it, you know. And I'm still. Uh, although, what it has. Yeah, go sorry, on. Please. Go no, on. no, no. Please. Uh, I was going to say, um, after watching it, it's it's made me been. It's made me think. Yeah, I want to go back and watch the first one again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because actually. it was so good. And what it made me. What it really made me think is when when I was watching it, I no- made this note about halfway through. Um, and it, it, I just said it, it lacks the momentum of the first film. Um, yeah. uh, it was quite, it, you know, it was quite bland throughout as well as being dumb. But in the first one, the first one has this momentum which just pounds you through the film. Uh-huh. You know, it drags you through it. It's great. Um, and that just wasn't present at all. Mm. Uh, maybe, I, I think the DC alt-universe should just retcon itself and just have Wonder Woman the first one and that's it that's all they have yeah I mean 
I mean, that's the thing because I'm 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 still hopeful for good Wonder Woman films in the future. I really like Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, and I like the character they've made for her. So I'm hoping yeah. that this is just a blip, like it's a difficult second film. Because again, to go back to Thor: The Dark World, no one that no one really liked it. It was a bit rubbish, and then Thor continued to be a, a good really good character in the Marvel universe, and then Thor: Ragnarok came out, which was, you know, fantastic. Um, so yeah, I've got high hopes for Wonder Woman in the future. I just think this is a unfortunate blip on her resume. Um, but yeah, it's a far cry from when the worst thing I had to say about the first one was like the name Doctor Poison is ridiculous and I hate it. To now, like everything <laughs> in this film is ridiculous and I hate it. It's just yeah. As a as I remember discussing it, yeah, that was pretty much the only yeah. negative thing. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Poison. <laughs> Would not be out of uh, out of place here, you know. Um, basically, I, you know what? That's that's a nice way to leave it because that leaves it on a positive note. And I think yeah. you're totally right because Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman is a great. It's a it's a good character. She's well made and it's well fleshed out. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and it's been it's been dumped with a bad plot. Mm-hmm. And I think you're. Your reference to Thor: The Dark World is good because yeah, that was a bit of a that was a bit of a stinker. Yeah. Um, One other thing I'd like to bring up that I did quite like about this actually, just if we're going to leave it on a positive, I like how it's set in a time where there aren't really any other superheroes, so you're not spending the whole film being like, oh, I wonder why Superman or Batman doesn't help out. It's just because like this was set before those two were around, so it's a good standalone story to be like, yeah, this is just. She had to deal with stuff by herself, you know? Well, you know, the little stinger at the end kind of ruins that. What's the what, what um, little stinger? The little stinger at the end where you got... Oh, original Wonder I Woman. Rem- yeah, the the actual actress from... The, Linda the Linda Carter, I think it was. So there is a, a, the greatest Amazon that ever was. She's cutting around. Why was she not helping? Maybe she... Maybe she wished she wasn't in the movie, so she wasn't oh, in it, you know? Dear God. <laughs> but then she renounced her wish, so she showed up at the end credits. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we're going to leave it there, folks. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I would not go outside for Wonder Woman 1984. Okay. Yeah, me neither. Well, um, thanks for listening to... uh, This is episode 30 of the Don't Go Outside podcast. We made it, Robin. Made it to the big 3-0. The big 3-0. Never thought we'd make it. Yeah, but here we are. Um, Yeah, thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed our chat. Um, Don't go outside, everyone. Because you might be inexplicably turned into a cheetah lady. Uh, <laughs> yes. To further the plot of an insane wishmaster, um, and nobody needs that. You just want to be good old Kristen Wiig. She's good in some things. She was pretty good in this, I have to say. But uh, she, you know, let's hope we she gets another go as Cheetah Woman, and let's hope you don't get turned into a Cheetah Woman yourself. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Uh, I wish I wish oh. you liked this episode and downloaded <laughs> it and I wish you tell all your friends about the Don't Go Outside podcast and I wish for no bad consequences to come of that.
Don't Go Outside is your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse, brought to you by Patch and Robin. If you enjoyed this episode of Don't Go Outside, why don't give us a follow on Spotify or subscribe to us on iTunes, and you'll be updated whenever a new episode is released. You can also find episode updates and other fun news on our Instagram feed at dgo underscore podcast.